I'm chatting with Vivesh Desai. He's head of global, Old Mutual Global Managed Alpha Fund. Vivesh, appreciate the time today. It's been quite some three years, the last couple of years. On the scale of uncertainty, what we've seen across global markets over these last couple of years, how does it compare to highest market uncertainty levels throughout history? How unprecedented has this market uncertainty actually been? Hi, Simon. It is interesting. You know, we've had a period where COVID introduced us to unprecedented events in markets where you had a sudden global stop to the economy Mm -hmm. and then a restart. um, And that caused its own level of volatility in markets. And I think what we're currently seeing is uncertainty is a weird word, right? Because in in a sense, (laughs) there's a level of perception that comes into that. And so if I think about markets and investors and investor perceptions and their expectations for the future, there is certainly a very high level of uncertainty. But if we if we look at markets and what is playing out in the data, if you look at equity markets, mm. the VIX index as an indicator of volatility is actually very low. It's at extremely low levels, uh, lower than, than kind of pre-COVID. But where the uncertainty is coming in is that if you know you will know that uh, this has been uh, there's been a recession called by various parts of the yeah. market for the last years. It's it's been the most well expected recession <laughs> that never happened. So I think the the large uncertainty is about what is going to happen with with economic growth for the for the world for the U.S. in particular and with the rapid amount of and size and quantity and speed of interest rate hikes that we've had in the U.S. and in other parts of the world, how does that actually play through? His, history would suggest that we should already be in a recession mm-hmm. and the uncertainty is coming from the fact that actually we're, we're not there yet. So I think that that's coming through with a large amount of uncertainty. And then I think a, a more recent kind of introduction or, or uh, driver of uncertainty. I saw an interesting stat uh, yesterday that if you look at the last 200 years, 2024 will be a year where the largest proportion of the world's population will be undergoing a presidential election. Yeah. So, so that yes. So, so that theme of elections and and um, especially you know for for South African citizens, the South African elections, and actually for investors everywhere around the world, what's going to happen with the U.S. elections? These are very key things, and the uncertainty related to these outcomes are significant. The potential impacts on investors and markets could be significant. Yeah, I, I think it, it's around 40 countries that are going to be having elections. And to your point, it's some of the big ones. Yeah, obviously, notably, they're the U.S. So that means in the short that we, we can expect this uncertainty then to continue into 2024 because the talk around a recession in developed markets, most notably the U.S., is still on the table. You mentioned elections ar- around the world. What are those, those sort of major risks for investors to consider? Is it going to be the, the recession or are there other risks perhaps lurking in the background? So I think at the heart of it, the biggest risk has to be the U.S. growth outcome and whether the U.S. goes into a recession as the largest economy in the world, mm-hmm. as the largest market in global market, as a, you know, the consumer force that has been the U.S. consumer has been a dominant force in global markets and has driven the global economy for a significant period. It matters to the rest of the world what happens in the U.S. So in terms of impact and size of impact, I would say the biggest risk is is the U.S. economy and whether the recession that eventually materializes, what is the extent of it, how deep is it, and um, how prolonged is it. That would be the biggest risk. There are a few geopolitical risks that are in the are happening. And, you know, the, the elections, I would say, by far, for South African investors, South African elections and U.S. elections, are still the biggest geopolitical risks. 
there are other the, we it's in all the news and you know it's hard to 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 miss it the the what's going on around the world but from a markets and investment perspective the impact of those are likely to be much less felt than than items like the the US elections and what happens there who is the winner and what mm. policies they implement and it's the same case for South Africa what are the policy uh, flow through from that comes through from the results of the elections. Yeah, but it's that it's the, the policy that that potentially comes. Things change track a little bit and and sort of focus more in in, in on old, old mutual and, and and the fund that 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 you uh, uh, got there. The the, the the global managed alpha fund, quantitative investing, emerging as a as a fairly effective investment approach for investors. How has your quantitative approach provided an edge over the last couple of years? COVID nineteen, rampant inflation, <laughs> disrupted global markets. I, I, I could could carry on forever with a with a list of as you say unprecedented circumstances no uh, exactly so so as as you mentioned uh, global managed alpha follows a, a purely systematic and quantitative approach and and what that means is that there's a couple of different things that come into that one is that we focus on data right and mm. what is happening in markets and the characteristics of stocks and we try and align the characteristics of companies with what is driving returns in the marketplace. So um, that process is done very rigorously and systematically using computer algorithms, etc. And we rank stocks from our most preferred to least preferred. And then we will construct a portfolio again using um, an algorithm to come up with a portfolio that is ideally suited not only to our ranking of stocks, but also to the market circumstances at the moment. And now here, here's the interesting um, aspect is that, you know, when, when one picks a manager to manage our assets, managers have different styles or they're accessing different um, aspects of markets to get this outperformance of the market, yeah. right? And these styles or flavors of investing also have patterns in which Given the market mm. environment, given the economic um, scenario, some of these styles do better um, and some of these styles do worse. And it goes the same if you look at different industry types and sectors. Some sectors will do better in particular economic scenarios and some sectors will do worse. If we look at growth and, and prospects for a recession, typically what happens in these environments is that economically sensitive um, companies do less well because your, your economy is is slowing down. Yeah. Um, your more defensive types of companies um, do better. Now, in a in a style sense, you will get quality types of uh, styles and quality managers outperforming, and you know managers that may be more economically sensitive, like value managers or even your more cyclical growth managers, might underperform. Um, and that comes also from an aspect of you know where what sectors are these uh, managers focused in, and where are they looking at. Your typical defensive sectors, which actually may not be def as defensive as you would think anymore, would be consumer staples, utilities, etc. IT has come to be a relatively defensive sector, but your more cyclical ones, your more um, uh, what your sectors that are more exposed to economic sensitivity could be financials, energy, um, you know, consumer discretionary. What are what are consumers buying? So from that aspect, there are when you choose a manager there's you're already making an allocation decision and even though you don't know it you might be making a decision about what you're thinking about markets yeah now 
the, the thing about investing when, when humans invest, right? We we I think we struggle to hold two belief systems in our head at the same time. So we tend to kind of focus on one thing and that is our our truth and we we go ahead with that. And the beauty of following a a algorithmic approach or a, a systematic computer driven approach is that actually it can optimize across multiple dimensions at the same time. So we we look at all these aspects. We look at the quality of our companies that we're investing, um, uh, how much debt they have on their balance sheets, what is the variability of their earnings. We look at how cheap or expensive they are, um, what's their price to book, what's their price to earnings ratio. We look at the earning growth that they're uh, churning out. What is is the market favoring these stocks? Uh, do they have good momentum or, or bad momentum? Mm-hmm. And across various styles and metrics, we then are looking at how to construct the optimal portfolio. So we're not picking which one is going to perform under, uh, outperform at a particular time. We have exposure across all of them. And then over and above that, the approach we particularly use in Global Managed Alpha is a very dynamic and flexible approach that is led by the market in a sense, what is happening in the market. Now, that particular approach came through very, uh, was very useful during the last uh, period. And the strategy performed, we've been running it now for, it'll come up for its six-year anniversary uh, next month. Um, and over five years, it's in the top, you know, five or six percentile of uh, funds across the world. Now, how did it do that? Because we've been through COVID and this last five-year period, we've been through an environment that at times growth was working amazingly well and growth companies were doing well. Then we had a period where value had a bit of a resurgence Mm. and then, you know, that tailed off and we had growth coming back again. The beauty of our strategy is that we don't predetermine the outcome and and base it on a belief that says, okay, we believe value is going to be doing well and we will bias the portfolio to value. We let it emerge from a, a data perspective and that's how the portfolio is structured and that's how the portfolio biases move through time. So through COVID, what happened is you had a spike in volatility and everything crashed at once. So during that period, there was a, a contraction uh, of risk in the portfolio um, and coming out of that, as we emerged, there was different theories about, you know, inflation would be incredibly high and that would mean value would outperform uh, for a very long time. Uh, and we've seen some of those theories theories fall apart. But actually, as we followed the data-driven approach, um, we've managed to navigate these markets relatively well. And that is what has been, that is that flexible approach, that dynamic responsive approach has meant it has been quite an all-weather portfolio um, and, and driven those results that you're seeing that are well ranked uh, across global managers. You make a good point. I mean, you mentioned value. I had forgotten that at the beginning of last year, globally, it was all about value um, for a while. And then suddenly it was the Magnificent Seven. This approach, yes. it, it makes you more nimble because you, you, you kind of remove those cognitive biases we have as, as humans. Completely. A, a, exactly right. Um, and that is the at the heart of why these approaches work is that as humans, it's, uh, it's, it's impossible not to be influenced by our emotions mm-hmm. and to make decisions based on, um, on how we're feeling. As part of a team that runs money, both on a fundamental approach and a quantitative approach, I know, you know, as part of fundamental investors' trade diaries, what we do is we'll record when we do the trade, how are we feeling at that point in time. Yep. That's because we're aware that as investors, and if we're humans making decisions, our emotions uh, and uh, do impact those decisions. So the beauty of this approach 
is it removes those those kinds of biases. It is looking purely at the data approach in the sense we will look at historical data and, you know, we'll cross-check this with academic research that's coming out to say, you know, we don't just establish a belief that if you buy a company on a cheap price to book, it's going to outperform. Yeah. We actually look at what ac academic research is saying. We test this. We look at what um, evidence is saying ourselves. Um, and then it will be included in our process um, to drive our portfolio and our stock selection. So, so that approach, that discipline is actually very important uh, and gets us away from uh, areas where, you know, emotions can lead us to, to biases where we, you know, believe in a story so much that we get captured by the growth momentum of particular companies and, and get captured by the story just about as at the time when they're about to turn <laughs> or that we get stuck in our beliefs that, you know, no, this is a very cheap company and, and we it will outperform eventually uh, and we just have to wait and hold on and if it falls more, we're going to have to buy more. Those kinds of belief systems can be very risky for investors and can cause um, a, a huge destruction in value. So getting away from those biases is, is, is very useful. Yeah, I often think the biggest risk to my portfolio is me and my, and my biases, and this neatly sort of nips that in the bud. A, a last question, uh, taking this into account, how are you and your team positioned as we head into 2024? So, as I said, it's in, a, in an environment where there is still significant uncertainty. And again, just to highlight that our portfolio is selected purely on a bottom-up mm. approach. We're looking at stock level, what's, what's attractive, and then we compose the portfolio from a, a very risk-cognizant perspective. So, the, 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 the biases in the portfolio from a country or sector perspective are emerging from that bottom-up perspective. But how we've structured the portfolio currently is let's start with the factor and style perspective. Our portfolio currently is biased towards quality, and that's because we're in this uncertain, uncertain environment where uh, economic growth is slowing. You want to be more in the, the quality, the more stable mm -hmm. names, the more stable uh, earnings outcomes. But also at the same time, we are in a period where growth type companies have outperformed for a very long time, and including the Magnificent Seven, some of them are on very high valuations. So we also in our portfolio are building in a bias to value companies and that barbell type of approach uh, of being biased to value and to quality um, is how we're handling this period of, of uncertainty and the possibility of dual outcomes. You know, if you look at our, our portfolio is both overweight and biased towards uh, companies in the U.S. as well as China. China has underperformed for a significant period and, and we, you know, the, the problems that the country is going through are well publicized. But what that means is that there are good companies being sold down with bad companies and there's yeah. good value there. In the U.S., similarly, you've got the Fed who's come in and are desperately trying to slow the economy and slow inflation. And with that, you're getting the slowing impact. And because of that, we're biased towards owning quality companies there that will maintain um, their uh, profitability better through the headwinds that are increasing in, in the US. Um, so it's that kind of barbell approach with uh, and a, and a multi-factor approach that we find will be useful um, uh, going into markets like this. We leave it there to Vesh Desai, uh, Head of Global, Old Mutual Global Managed Alpha Fund, part of the Old Mutual Investment Group. Appreciate the insights.